Well, good morning again. Here we are. Hello. We just showed up. We're glad you're here. And are you enjoying fall? I am. I am loving it. We are uh, in the uh, seventh chapter of the story, and if you're visiting with us today, we're on a 31-week journey, uh, look f- uh, moving from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible, and uh, this morning, uh, we are moving into the book of Joshua, and we're talking about the battle begins, and if you have a, a, a story Bible, uh, then of course, it's in chapter seven, but let's stand together. And uh, I'm going to read the blue, and you're going to read white, and our text is Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, and this is what it says. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. You, now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Nice. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to my ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Very good. Let's pray. Father, again, in the name that is above every name, and through the power of the Spirit of God, we ask that you would give us a voice to speak ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand, and particularly as we go out from this place, from this property, this facility, and we go out into our lives, our marriages and our families and our relationships and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our places of education and where we get our services, and Lord, where we recreate. Lord, we pray that the same Holy Spirit would help us to live out what it means to be the disciples of Jesus Christ in physical, tangible, and meaningful ways. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So we come to the book of, jo- uh, the book of Joshua, and the book of Joshua acts as a, a bridge, if you will, a bridge, it, it provides a transition from the book of Deuteronomy to the book of Judges. And it sort of is a cap, if you will, over the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 600 years ago from our text, 
God promised to Abraham 600 years, six centuries ago. God promised to Abraham that he would make them and him a great nation. And so Israel's family, Israel's family nation, are ready to advance into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. And Joshua chapter 1 verse 2 gives us five words that set the stage for us and for them. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, with all due respect, Moses, in some ways, is a hindrance to Israel's family nation. As long as he is alive, he is never going to be able to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, so somebody else has to do it. And one of the reasons why Moses is not able to lead the people of Israel into the promised land is because of his disobedience. Numbers chapter 20 verses 10 to 13 tells us that instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that that rock was Christ. So Moses would not and could not take them into the promised land, so it was Joshua's job. The second reason that Moses was not able to lead them in is because the people of Israel were so attached and they were so dependent on Moses. And the reality being that probably if he hadn't been dead, then they probably wouldn't have followed any other leader to bring them into the promised land. Now, I would imagine that Moses' death was of great concern to many of the people of Israel's family and Israel's nation. Because Moses is a great man, and whoever could fill the footsteps or ever could fill the shoes that Moses left. But the other thing to keep in mind is that Moses represents the past. Now, for most of us, our tendency, our tendency is to hold on to the past and not let go at the detriment of our future. Now, if you're like I am, you have more past than you have future. Now, some of us in the room, you have more future than you have past. But for me and all my peeps out there, I have more past than I have future. And one of the things that causes me, that causes us to settle into and become nostalgic about the past is the good times, not the bad times. The past was great. But the future will be great too. That chapter, as wonderful and as challenging as it was, is over. And the page is being turned and the rest of the story is yet to be written. And Moses is a great man, but he is only a man. God was and is orchestrating their future and our future. And the inference that now that Moses, my servant, is dead, it is time to let go of the past, to let the past go. 
Move forward instead of just traveling around in circles in the desert. And Moses' death is treated like a comma in a sentence, not a period. And as easy as that. The book of Joshua picks up where the book of Deuteronomy left off, and Joshua himself picks up where Moses left off. And we find ourselves, and they find themselves, at the gateway to the promised land, to Canaan. They find themselves there again at Kadesh Barnea. They were here 40 years ago. And Joshua chapter 1 verse 2 says, Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I am about to give them. So in the story, we find that Israel's family nation are facing some of the same problems that they did 40 years ago. But the challenge is that the people now that are still in the land are just as bad now and just as big now as they were 40 years ago. You see, not facing our problems today does not eliminate them. Denial is not a strategy. It's just a river. The rest of you will get it on the later. Our problems do not go away on their own. They have to be dealt with. And if we do not deal with them now, we will have to deal with them another time in another place in other situations and in other ways. It's like not dealing with the reasons or the conflict or the reasons for conflict in our relationships. We can live in denial and think that they're just going to go away on their own, but we all know that they do not go away on their own, and that if we don't deal with the reasons for conflicts in our relationships today, then we're going to have to deal with them in other ways and in other places, and if we do not deal with conflicts in our relationship today, they are just going to follow us to our next relationship and our next relationship and our next relationship. It's like anger. If we do not deal with the root of our anger today, our anger is going to come up in other ways. It's going to be projected onto other innocent people, and it's going to be projected in ways that we never anticipated because it's coming up. The problems do not go away. They have to be dealt with. Denial is not a strategy. So 40 years ago, Israel's family nation would not deal with their problems in the promised land. And now, 40 years later, they're back here and they still have the same problems, but this time, it is possible that their problems are even worse. And on top of that, now it's their kids' problems. Now their kids have to deal with their issues. That brings us to this. 
Joshua is a book of the inheritance of the people of God. And in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, we are told that there is a correlation, there is a parallel between their inheritance then and our inheritance today. Their inheritance is historically recorded in the book of Joshua. And our inheritance is in and through Jesus Christ. So their inheritance came through Joshua. And our inheritance comes through Jesus, the second Joshua. Because Jesus is the Greek form of the word Joshua. Yeshua or Jesus is the Greek term. It means God is salvation. Their inheritance is a literal, historical, physical, promised land, Canaan, for them to enter into and to live in. Ours is a spiritual promised land. It is a spiritual Canaan that we are to enter into and that we are to live in. Their inheritance came and was secured through war and violence and battle. Now, this trips some people up, and rightly so. The discomfort of the violence is hard to manage. And for most modern readers, for us that read Joshua today, this becomes probably one of the toughest barriers to the Bible. Killing everyone in every city, total destruction of both humans and animals, anything that draws breath, and show no quarter is a constant and recurrent refrain. And so we look back at the book of Joshua from our vantage point and in our time in history and we think, how horrible. But if we were able to put ourselves back in the 13th century B.C., we might see something a little differently. There are two primary reasons why God commands Joshua and the people of Israel to annihilate everybody. The first one is this, because of the wickedness of the inhabitants of the land. Now, God told Abraham six centuries, 600 years ago, that this was going to be the case, because this is what it says in Genesis 16, 15, 16. God said to Abraham, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. The second reason why God gave the command that he did to Joshua and the people of Israel is because of the detestable religious practices of the Canaanite people. Canaanite culture in the 13th century was a snake pit 
of detestable idol worship using child sacrifice, the burning of children to manipulate or please some god, and sacred prostitution. And so what we have here is that the practices of the people of, the, of Canaan were brutal and they used the most innocent and vulnerable members of their community, babies and virgins, to manipulate the gods. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and then Exodus tell us the same things and the reasons for all that God told Joshua and the Israel's family nation. But even with that, it is hard to manage emotionally and mentally and spiritually. But let us be reminded that our inheritance too was secured through a war, a battle, through violence, in a universal conflict between God and Satan, culminating in the violence of the crucifixion and the brutal execution of the Son of God. Their inheritance came with certainties and assurances. And Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 to 6 gives us four of those certainties and those assurances. First of all, God's blessings and God's promises are for all God's people. Joshua says, I will give, or God says through Joshua, I will give you every place where your foot, everywhere you set your foot as I promised Moses. 600 years ago. God promised this land to their grandfather or great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And we know that eventually, that as we read through the book of Joshua, that they will actually receive their inheritance because this is what it says in Joshua chapter 24, 28. And then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. The second certainty that they receive from God is that the promise of God's protection. God said that no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Third, God does not change. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you all the days of your life. And lastly... God's promises do not end. For I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Now I want you to follow me here. Because our inheritance in Jesus Christ has the same certainties and assurances. Our first certainty is that God's blessings and promises are for all of his people. Nobody is excluded. Nobody in the room, nobody watching online, nobody listening to the archive. Galatians says these words, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. 
And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We have the assurance of God's protection. Isaiah says in 54.17 that no weapon formed against you or forged against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. And the third assurance is that God does not change. Hebrews 13 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the last promise is that that God's promises do not come to an end. Hebrews picks up and repeats for us in the New Testament what God has said in Joshua and in Deuteronomy. God has said to us, never will I leave you or forsake you. So we say with confidence that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So here's a question. Are we living in our inheritance or in our circumstances? Every Christian, everybody in the room who is a Christian, everybody watching online who is a Christian, every believer, every Christ follower, every disciple of Jesus Christ is included in what God has accomplished and promised and provided and made available in Jesus Christ. No exceptions. But are we living in our inheritance? Or are we living in our circumstances? We are heirs in Christ of all God's promises and blessings. But do we know what those promises and blessings actually are? In other words, do we know what our inheritance in Jesus actually is? I think part of the reason that we may not and do not know is because we do not know what's in the book. I mean, how can we live? And how can we claim and how can we enjoy our inheritance if we don't know what it is? Hosea says, my people are destroyed. For lack of knowledge. And Joshua 1 8 says, God says to the people of Israel and to Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it in the, uh, on it at day and at night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. So I ask us again this morning, are we living in our inheritance or are we living in our 
circumstances. Jews and Christians have always been known as the people of the book. This book. And the reason for that is because Jews and Christians believe that the biblical reality is the most important story in the modern world. Which is ironic. We are literally the most literate people in all history. And further, in the past 500 years, we Christians have been the most privileged of all Christians of all time because we have access to a personal copy of the Bible. And that is ironic, considering that every study that's taken tells us that less than 20% of us in this room actually read the Bible regularly. Is it any wonder that we do not know what our inheritance is in Jesus Christ? So I ask again, are we living in our inheritance or are we living in our circumstances? A friend of mine who became a Christian And his dad was not anti-Christian, he just wasn't, an, just wasn't a practicing believer. He said to his dad one time, he said, Dad, have you ever read the Bible? And his dad said, yeah, I read it once. As if once is enough. It's not. The Bible is not a one-read book. The Bible is a living book. And you and I cannot take the Bible and we cannot read it and just put it down like we would a novel or the newspaper or the sports page or the business section. The Bible addresses us. The Bible provokes us. It questions us. It commands us. It calls to us. It has our number. It reads us as much as we read it. And it gets into us. I want to conclude this morning with a great text from Revelation chapter 10, verses 1 to 9. And this is what it says. I want you to see the imagery now. And then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud and a rainbow above his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs were fiery pillars. And he was holding a little scroll, in our terms a book, which lay open in his hand. And then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more, Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land, So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. Now two other people other than the disciple John are told to do the same thing. 
to take the scroll and to eat it. Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Now, there may be others, but those are the two that I'm aware of. Eugene Peterson said this, Christians feed on Scripture. Christians don't simply learn or study Scripture. We internalize it. We assimilate it into the tissues and the fibers and the muscles of our hearts and our minds and our souls. We take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into faithfulness and obedience, into acts of love, cups of cold water, mission into the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name. I remember when um, Dalton Fawcett died. And I remember going over to their house and talking to Gloria, and she handed me his Bible. What a mess. I had never seen a Bible. I, I don't know what he was doing, but uh, everything was underlined. I mean, everything is underlined and circled. All the words are circled, and I'm assuming that he read it so many times that he circled, and all of a sudden he realized that he had circled all, all the words. But every time I see a Bible like that, or I see some saint that's got some Bible that is falling apart, and the leaves are falling out, this is what I think. I think of a quote that someone said, that a Bible that is, owned by, that a Bible that is falling apart is usually owned by somebody who is not. So are we living in our inheritance or are we living in our circumstances? When was the last time we read the Bible? And when was the last time we actually read the Bible through? So how can we know our inheritance in Christ otherwise? Otherwise? 